You know, Christmas really only has a couple of stories in the Bible that relate to the first Christmas. First thing we encounter is a, uh, a young girl, probably a teenager, godly, loves the God of Israel, has hope in the Messiah, committed to Jehovah, <clears throat> and she meets a young guy, he's a carpenter, they fall in love, and part of the reason they fall in love is because they, uh, they both loved Jehovah. They both subscribed to the Old Testament, and they both lived out God's character in their life. So that one evening, as they're engaged, Gabriel shows up in her house, frightening in and of itself, and he says to her, look, you're highly favored by God. And basically, the upshot of the story is, God's going to place in your womb his son. Now, her response is not to disbelieve, but her response was a simple question. She said, how in the world can this happen? I, we, I've not known a man. There's been no physical involvement between me and Joseph, and I'm in love with him. And that's when the angel says, the Holy Spirit will take care of this. You let him worry with that. And now she goes to bed, certainly with mixed feelings. She's excited that she's favored enough to be the one that God's going to implant his child in, but... There's no way that her friend, her boyfriend, is buying into this. And sure enough, when she tells him, he doesn't. As a matter of fact, it says that he, but he's kind, said he decided he would put her away privately. And then, of course, the angel comes to him and says, don't be afraid to take her as your wife. What is in her is an implantation of the Holy Spirit. Don't be afraid. And so... They marry, that's probably what happens, and then along about the ninth month, word comes out, they've got to go to Bethlehem, this little, small, terribly insignificant town of nothing. It's about five miles from Jerusalem, but it's a nothing town. Very few people live there, and the word is, you've got to go back there to be registered and to take care of the taxes. So they go there, and, and when they arrive... They, uh, they go up, there's no room in the inn, and the guy who has been beaten up worse in the Bible than anybody else in the history of the Bible, other than Judas and Satan, is that poor innkeeper. I mean, preachers have worn that guy out. There's no room. Well, what is he supposed to do? There's no room. It's full. Everybody's there. This is not the Four Seasons. It's not the Marriott. There's probably six rooms. It's full. He doesn't have any more room. He's not a bad guy. There's going to be a lot of preachers getting to heaven going, sorry. He's really a good guy. Because what he does is he says, look, I don't have any room, but I'll get you out of the wind. I'll get you out of the cold. And he puts him in a barn. In the barn, Joseph hears the worst words he's ever heard. The child's coming. And it's just him and her. So she gives birth to Jesus. They wrap him in some cloth, and all they have is this feeding trough that they've had grain and hay in, and so they clean that out as best they can, and they lay Jesus in that trough. Now, about that moment, there are some shepherds out in the field, and these guys, now we have romanticized these guys. You've got to understand, 
The worst job in the Roman Empire was slave. The second worst job in all of Israel and all the Roman Empire was shepherding. They didn't have the clothes like we have, the rain gear and the warm gear and the cold gear. They didn't have any under armor. If it's raining, they're wet. If the sheep are wet, they're wet. If the sheep are cold, they're cold. If the sheep are hot, they're hot. If the sheep are thirsty, they're thirsty. They don't have a lot of room to carry water with them. They have to water where the sheep do. They live off the land. And they are basically, not because nobody likes them, but they're basically outcasts. They can't run those sheep into town. So they live outside, which is probably why you have several on this night. They probably brought their herds together. They're lonely on top of everything else. they got to protect the sheep, and then they got to fend with the sheep. And so they come together that night to have a little bit of communion. Heaven opens up. Angels begin to speak to them and said, I have good news of great joy unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior for everybody. It literally says Christ the Lord. In other words, what he said was the Messiah, the Lord, has been born in Bethlehem. Go see. So they go see. They arrive there. They see him. The next thing you have in the story is eight days later when they take Jesus to the temple to be dedicated. And there are two people that are important in the story, but not really important people. A lady named Anna and an older man named Simeon, both of them older, and both of them talk about, they prophesy over Jesus. And they talk about what he's going to do and the redemption he's going to bring Israel. Except Simeon adds one statement to Mary. He says, and you need to understand, a sword will pierce your heart as well. And then the last thing we really have, the last sort of Christmas story, because it occurs much later, is you have uh, the wise men coming from the east. These are men that did not believe in Jehovah. They believed that the stars governed the universe. They're magi, they're astrologers. They believe there is no real God, but that the stars controlled your life. You're born under this constellation. Certain things would happen to you. You would have a certain personality if you're born on this day in the constellation. And all of a sudden, somehow, we don't know how, but God got through to them and said, I run the deal. So he pulls this star out to show them that he runs the deal. He moves that star out of his position. He brings it over to where Jesus is and they come. Now, when you get right down to it, those are the Christmas stories. There's really not much in the Bible about his birth. But there is a common aspect to all those stories. Number one, you have two people, Mary and Joseph, who are nobodies. They don't give birth to Jesus. You never know their names. These are not important people. Joseph's what we call a common man. He's a working man, a blue-collar man. He's a carpenter. And we know he doesn't live long because he only appears in the biblical record until Jesus is 12. And after the age of 12, when Jesus is in the temple, we never hear his name mentioned again. He dies at some point between uh, Jesus when he's 12 and Jesus when he's 30 and enters full-time ministry. He's a nobody. Mary's really a nobody. She's godly, but she's really nobody important. They go to Bethlehem, which is one of the tiniest towns 
the entire nation in that day. It's an unimportant town. The shepherds are unimportant people. They don't get invited to anything because they can't come in town. They don't smell good. They don't look good. They live a harsh life. And yet they're the first people that God comes to and says, there's a Messiah born, the Lord. They're unimportant. Even Simeon and Anna are both very, very old. They're near death. Neither one of them is all that important except that they're godly. The Magi come with gifts. If they don't come with gifts from their government, they come with gifts on their personal life because they're not that important either. And on top of that, they're people that really never at any point believed in Jehovah until he somehow revealed himself to them and they followed the star to the birth of Christ. Now, here's what's interesting to me. You know, God could have revealed him to the Roman emperor he could have revealed him to the high priest of Israel, Caiaphas. Could have revealed him to Annas, the father-in-law of the high priest. Could have revealed him to a lot of important people. He absolutely ignored every important person in the Roman Empire. God ignored every important person in the entire nation of Israel. And he sent the message and the son to the least important place in the least important nation Israel's under the domination of Rome. They have no power. They have no self-authority, no self-rule. In the least important nation, at one of the least important times, and announced it to the least important people, because at the end of the day, if Christmas tells us anything, it is that we are worth and valuable because we touch the heart of God, not for any other reason. I want you to listen to this statement. He says, My children, I write to you that you don't sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the means by which our sin is forgiven, and not only ours, but also the entire world. Christmas tells one thing, that no matter who we are, no matter how unimportant we are, even if we start out in our life and we don't even believe in God and we don't like God, doesn't matter. From those people all the way to Mary and Joseph, anybody in the world is important and has value and has worth because God loves them. And he loves them so much that he put his son on the cross let him live a righteous life, put him on the cross, resurrected him so you know he didn't die because of his sin, he died because of ours. Ascended back to heaven, he's coming back, and all of that is the absolute proof he did that for us. Our value is never tied to who we are. It's tied to who he is and what he thinks about us. You know, we've raised a generation of kids that can't handle life. And part of it's interesting to me because I think part of it's our own fault. We've sent kids into school, and this is what we've taught them. We've done everything we can to make them have self-worth. We give everybody a trophy. We do all the things to make them feel good about themselves. We tell them they're wonderful. We tell them they're great. We give them all the right words. But then we send them into biology class and chemistry class, and we tell them, look, you're a product of time and chance. You are lucky to be here. You're just a stage along in evolution. So there's really no point in you being here. There's really no purpose in you being here. There's no real meaning to your life, but we want you to feel good about yourself. 
The reason you have value and the reason you have worth is because of the heartbeat of God toward you. You are in his image. And as a result of that, he took his son and let him die because we're worth the death of his son to bring us back to him. Our worth is tied to the love and the direction of the redemption of God Almighty. It is not tied to who we are. It's not tied to how much money we have. It's not tied to how many presents you get. But I'm going to tell you something. That's why I like the giving of presents at Christmas. Number one, I love getting them. I'm just going to be honest. I love giving them because what you do is you communicate to each other. When you get a present or you receive a present, I must be of some value. Somebody bought me this. What's great is it's a reminder that our real ultimate value, even if nobody gives you anything at Christmas, doesn't matter. Whether you get a new car or you get nothing, your value isn't even tied to what we do at Christmas. It's tied to what the Father did 2,000 years ago when he put his son with two unimportant people, birthed him in an unimportant town, and an unimportant time, and an unimportant country, and brought unimportant people who didn't even believe in him to see him. Because God loves every single person on this planet. It doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, what you haven't done. God is in love with you, and we know that worth and that value because of Jesus Christ. It's why we come to this table tonight. We come to the table because we want you to remind and remember that Christmas is about God's love for us and our worth and our value because of the death of Jesus Christ. He did not die just for his glory. He died for our redemption. He died so he could have us back. Any person, anywhere, magi, blue-collar, no matter what city, no matter what country, he wants every person home with him because every single person is valuable to his heart and that is the ultimate message of Christmas.